Amen. Right. Okay. So, for those that don't know me, I am Trish, as Paul said, and I've been worshipping here for the last 16 years, and you are my church family at St. Paul's. Um, I am definitely not going to give you a three-point sermon. I'm definitely not going to bring you into land as I come to the end of it, but I would describe myself as a disciple of Christ and a believer in recovery, as says on the T-shirt. So... Um, thank you, Judith. I was so happy when I saw your name to read because I thought, oh, it's going to be something really excellent before it comes to me. And um, this is just like an amazing series that we're going to start now. These are, we've just finished James and we're coming into now, like Paul said, these are the questions that Jesus asked. And this passage that Judith read uh, represents the climax of Jesus' teaching ministry. Jesus has spent the last two and a half years teaching and preparing his disciples for them to be able to answer this one question. A question that every living person, past and present, you and me, we are all going to have to answer this question one day. And the way we answer this question will depend where we spend eternity, heaven or hell. Verse 15, Jesus says, who do you say I am? The question is not, who is Jesus to you? Or, who do you want Jesus to be? History tells us that Jesus was real. Everyone, believer, agnostic, atheist, have little problem with this. He lived fact. Some might answer the question, well, he was a good man. He was a prophet like Isaiah. Well, family, the logical three answers that we can answer, the three ways we can answer this question are one, Jesus was a liar, that he deliberately and purposefully misled people to believe that he was God in flesh. Two, that he was a lunatic. Like if we go over to the park this afternoon and we see a man standing on a box and he's going, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, we're going to think lunatic. C.S. Lewis describes a man with the brains of a poached egg. Or three, the most scandalous option that he was and is exactly who he said he was. The good shepherd, the door of the sheep, the light of the world, the bread of life, the true vine, the resurrection and the life, that he is Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. That is the only three options that we will have to answer this question. It is not the coolest thing you can do to be a Christian. Christianity in itself is very unpopular in the world today because of the nature of this one declaration that we are going to make. If we changed the to a it would be more popular to be a Christian. If we declared Jesus is a Lord, a Messiah, Christianity would be less offensive and more attractive to the world. So, what shall we say? Shall we change the to a? No, certainly not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through the Son. Who, who is that Son? Jesus. This is a non-negotiable doctrine that sets us apart from the world and from other faiths. If Jesus isn't the Messiah, 
then every promise in the Bible with regard to the coming of the Messiah has failed because it can no longer be fulfilled. If this is not a true declaration, then we should question the reliability of God's precious holy word. Malachi 3 states, the Lord will come to his temple. So if Jesus wasn't the Lord, this can no longer be fulfilled. The temple was destroyed. It says the Messiah will come from the house of David. Well, since the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, there are no available genealogical records, so it would be impossible to prove a genetic lineage of a Messiah today. Who do you say I am? If we answer this question that we believe Jesus is the Lord, then our lives should show evidence of that declaration. Many people will confess Jesus is Lord, thinking the declaration of the statement is enough for salvation, measuring their Christian walk from some sort of tick list, an imaginary how-to-be-a-Christian manual, like, I go to church, I give, I serve, family, these are all good, church attendance, great, giving, brilliant, serving, essential. But... We need to be careful that we recognize that none of these things can save us. And if we do them from a place where we think they can, then this is legalism, religion, deadly and wrong. If we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, then we will have an internal transformation with an external outpouring. I am a sinner. I am saved by grace through faith. I was conceived in sin and born into sin, as David says. My nature was opposed to God. I was an enemy of God, born rebellious and spiritually dead, stinking dead. My only hope when I stand before my father is this declaration that I will make, that I will answer the question that Jesus is asked, and I will say that Jesus is God in flesh, that Jesus is Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God. My hope rests in the fact that Jesus died on a cross and imputed his righteousness, that's his right standing with the Father, to me. So I am no longer the enemy of God. My salvation rests on nothing else. My best works are like filthy rags I wave before God. Simple. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, as Gav would say. I bring nothing to my salvation except a big dollop of sin. At this point in the, in the talk, because I'm not doing a sermon, but at this point, I would like to focus on Peter. He was definitely one of the inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples. He is many of our favorite disciples. As we identify with his evident flaws and unleashed enthusiasm, often speaking before he gets his brain in gear, but here, he responds well in verse 16 when he acknowledges who Jesus is. He states, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Perfect answer. Well done, Peter. Jesus, verse 18, acknowledges Peter and tells him that on this rock, he will build his church. This is a small rabbit hole, but important. When you look at this text in more detail... Um, in the correct translation of verse 18, Jesus is not saying that he will build his church on Peter. 
For 1,500 years, there has been confusion over this text until the Protestant Reformation. Jesus is building his church on the statement of faith Peter has made. The answer to the question that Jesus asked, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is Lord. Let's never forget, Jesus is our cornerstone. Peter, although one of the twelve, was a man flawed, a sinner like me, only saved by grace through faith. In fact, it's not long before Jesus had to rebuke Peter, and that is not for the first time. Matthew 16, 23, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because Peter was being Satan's mouthpiece. Another interesting point, Jesus affirms Peter's declaration of faith here, fully knowing that he will deny him shortly. Jesus knew Peter would deny him. There are no surprises to God the Father, Jesus the Son, or the Holy Spirit. We do not surprise God, but God will still use us in our brokenness for his glory as he did with Peter. This is... This is the very first mention in verse 18 of the word church in the New Testament, the first of 110 times that it is then referred to. And it is Jesus who is using the term. So what does this tell us? I think it tells us that church is very important. The term church, ecclesia in Latin, better be pleased with that, made up of two words meaning to be called to be called out from and to gather together with a common purpose. We are called out from the world to gather together to worship and celebrate Jesus and what was accomplished on the cross by Jesus for us. Jesus called us out to be his church. We are collectively his bride, a love gift from the Father to his Son. The author of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25, says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more, as you see the day approaching. This is not a suggestion. When I was reading this, there are over 25 references commanding us to gather together as the church. On my first day working here with Andrew, I remember how he continually corrected me in love. As I referred to this building as the church, he would smile and say, church building. Picky, I thought. And does it really matter, I thought. I thought that church was organs, pews, hymns, robes, stained glass, choirs, religion, the place where you go to be hatched, matched and dispatched. I would like to tell you I was only corrected on my first day here, but that isn't my story. I was corrected until I understood we are the church. You are the church. I am the church. I am am the church, and we are called to gather together, united with Peter in the statement of faith he made. That was the answer to the question that Jesus asked the question that Jesus built his church upon. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, God in flesh, our hope, our Redeemer, our Lord. Not liar, not lunatic, but Lord. 
God never intended for us to do this alone. For me, church isn't a choice. I don't wake up Sunday and think, oh, I feel like going to church today. I come every week on Sundays, Tuesdays. I gather with my family, whether I feel like it or not. Why? Because Christ instructs us to. You are my family. I come to worship, encourage, be encouraged, pray, and stand on what I believe and what my life is built on. And that is the answer to Jesus' question, that Jesus is Lord, that he is God in flesh. So, can we be Christians without gathering together? Most definitely, yes. For we are not saved by our church attendance, really important, but by grace alone. But when we don't gather together, we are like bees without a hive, and that is difficult to make honey. Some people go to church on Sunday and they think this is what being a Christian is, that it is the act that will save them. Family. Do not find yourself standing before our Father, as we all will one day, justifying your life, your walk with the words, well, I went to church on Sunday. Matthew 7, 21, 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 18, Jesus goes on saying, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It being the church. Jesus owns the church. He purchased us with his blood. We see the persecution of the church in the world today. Our brothers and sisters dying for standing on the answer to that question that Jesus asked. Craig shared with us on Pentecost Sunday that the church in Western has declined by 20% in the last 10 years. We might ask, will the church survive? Well, here Jesus tells us the gates of Hades will not prevail. So who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Jesus. So the answer to that question is yes, the church will survive. Each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, created for a purpose, called to work out of our salvation with fear and trembling. Each of us, knowing one day, we will have to account for the life we have been given. Upon this declaration, this is my answer, and being part of the bride of Christ, our lives should look different from those of the people that are in the world. Upon this knowledge of this confession, Peter's life looked different to the world. Did he still make mistakes? Yes. But on this confession, the Holy Spirit transformed him from a coward who denied Jesus to a man who was happily martyred for the knowledge that he possessed. If I leave here today and get hit by a number seven bus, you will see visible signs of the encounter I have had with that bus. I tell you, I have had an encounter with the High King of Heaven. The High King of Heaven is bigger and more powerful than a number seven bus. 
surely my life should show the visible encounter of um, the High King of Heaven. This is a question I challenge myself with regularly. Can you see the evidence of the encounter in my life? Do I look any different to the world? Do I sound any different to the world? If we have had an encounter with Jesus, we should not look or sound like the world. Matthew 16, verse 13 to 19, should look like something in our lives, something that the world can see. For me, Jesus is Lord. On this I stand, and I come to church because I am the church. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would take my words and I pray that you would just plant them in our hearts, that you would challenge us with this question, Lord, and that it would look like something in our lives. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.